0: I wanted you to see that video for a couple of reasons. One, have you ever been there? Yeah. We've been thinking about what would Jesus undo? And today it's what would he undo as far as spiritual pride is concerned? And last week, you know, I kind of talked about wearing a mask and hypocrisy and those things. And can you see how wearing a mask and hypocrisy and pride, how they go together? They really do. And, and one of the hardest things maybe for us to do as, as a church family is to, you know, because you come in the door and you want to smile, you want to be happy, you want to say hello to everybody, you know, and if you're going through something, you don't want to drag them down, you know, where you are sometimes, and you just kind of want to put, you know, the best foot forward and the best face forward, and, and I get that, but what we're called to do as a faith family is to just be honest. And uh, you know, I've told you before, this is kind of my strategy. like I probably won't say to you, how are you doing today?" first thing in the morning because some of you like you need to tell how you're doing and I just don't have but like 30 seconds before I have to walk up here and start and I I can't hear all of the how you're doing I want to hear it I just can't do it right now so so and and then we all kind of jump in that you know like I don't want to bother the pastor with this I don't want to ask anybody I don't want to tell anybody but somehow we've, we've got to find ways and times You know, places and spaces where we can do those things, where we can just be honest about the things we're going through. You you need some safe people in your life. You need some safe people that you can tell them exactly what you think, and they still love you. You know what I mean? Because you've got the things that you'll say, and you say, okay, this is a hard thing for me to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, but it's safe for me to say it to someone, okay? But then there are other things where, in your mind, you're thinking, if they really knew what I was thinking... If they really knew what I was going through, if they really knew what I wanted to do, like they would just, they'd run out the door, like let me away from this person. And because we all have thoughts like that and feelings like that, and we go through times like that, we just just learn to put on the mask and we just hold on to it. And if you hold on to it long enough, it kind of morphs into pride. That's what happens. A kind of spiritual pride that says, you know, I'm better than this. Maybe I'm better than you. That's what happens. It's really scary when it happens that way. So honesty is at the heart. What Matt Chandler does in in that little video clip you just watched is he, he just encourages his church to start there. That, that repentance, contrition, confession, that those are the things that are at the heart of the Christian life. That's what it is. Like you've got to be able to come to terms with who you are and what you've done and be able to talk to God about it. And if that starts with talking to person, with a person, you do that. And then it's con- contrition, confession, repentance. It's over and over again. And no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, how long you've been a believer, you never get away from that. I know you kind of want that though, right? Wouldn't you like to reach a point where you could just go through your days thinking, I didn't do anything wrong today? Wouldn't that be great? But it never happens to us, right? And some of you have been walking with Christ for a really long time and you're just not there. And all I can say is, I don't think we're ever going to get there. We're never going to get to that time. If we're honest about who we are and what we do, we're always going to come up short somewhere. And so we have to confess to God. And sometimes we confess to other people because that's a help for us. But it's repentance and confession. It's over and over again. And it's just being honest with who we are and where we are. Now, uh, real quick, the uh, series we're in, I think we've got a slide on the recap of this. What would Jesus undo? It was indifference, which is a type of apathy where you just say, I don't care. and I don't care that I don't care. And I'm just indifferent to the things of God. And then the next week we worked on hollow worship. The idea that you can just go through the motions, sing the songs, do the things, be in the prayer moments, read the Bible, and and it never have any real meaning to you. And we have to strive to not go through the motions and to truly worship. And then last week we talked about Uh, hypocrisy and today we're talking about spiritual pride. Now when you come back next week I'm going to start a a whole new series and I'm going to talk about uh, what it means to be the body of Christ here. I'm going to talk about the local church. I'm going to talk about us. I'm going to talk about what it means for all of us because we're all New members of a new church, so to speak. So I'm going to kind of go that way for a few weeks and I'll talk about all those things, all the all the things that kind of relate to serving the Lord together as a new church. And so we'll talk about that starting then. But today it's spiritual pride. And what I want to do is read from Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. It's one of those stories that I'm sure when the disciples first heard it, they didn't have any trouble remembering this one. And it's because of the dynamics and it's because of of the twist that Jesus gives at the end. But this is Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, and was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable, this story that is to teach us about ourselves. And as we look at it and think about it together, Lord, help us understand. Help us see something today about ourselves that maybe we've never seen before or just didn't want to acknowledge. Lord, move us in your direction. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus tells a parable to those who trust in themselves and look at others with contempt. Nobody wants to volunteer to be that person, right? Okay, if you trust in yourself and you look at others with contempt, please raise your hand. Nobody raises their hand, right? Nobody wants to. But that's where the Bible starts. And it's just, you know, Luke is giving us a little bit of commentary beforehand. So what I wonder is when, when, when Luke was told about this, because Luke wasn't there. You know, he got this from a disciple. When Luke was told about this, was that the running commentary? Okay, Luke, you ready to write this? Okay, this is what Jesus said to a group of people who trusted in themselves and looked at other people with contempt. They looked down on everybody else. Get ready. Write this down. This is the story. Is that how, is that how it was presented to Luke? I don't know. But you know up front, this is the group of people. They trust in themselves. They, they think highly of themselves and they look down on others. That in itself is pride. And it can go both ways. Okay, And, and I just want you to, to hear this, how pride works. There are people who stand up here and look down. And that's a kind of pride. And then there are people that they stand here and look up and still think they're better than everybody else. Right? You see what I mean? People do it both ways. Like you can, you can say of yourself, I'm here and those other people up here, but I'm better than they are. That's just as prideful as putting yourself up here looking down on somebody and going, We're better than those people. Right? It's pride in either direction. So the, the Bible doesn't spell that out. It just says they trusted in themselves and they had contempt or they looked down on other people. That's what they did. So thinking that they were better than someone else. It's real easy to go from, uh, you're no better than me, to I'm better than you. Real easy to take that step. And, and one of the things that's going to be so hard today as we think about pride is, you remember where we started our service? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So you go, you do things. Um, you want, I mean, he says, let people see your good works and glorify God. It is real easy for the first part of that, let people see your good works. It's real easy to stop right there, flip that coin over, and just be proud of what you've done. Proud in a not so good way. And that's why pride is always going to be a challenge. So there's two men who went to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. So you already know how the story is going to end as soon as you hear that, right? Because you know the Pharisee's a good guy and you know the tax collector's a bad guy. This is, this is Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. That's the story, okay? That's, this, that's how this is Jim and Dwight if you're into the office. Y'all into the office? This is Jim and Dwight. This is, uh, this is uh, Seven and the Upside Down Monster. Some of you know that story too, don't you? Some of you do. That's what this is. It's, it's good versus bad. That's how this story works. This is Chuck Norris versus anybody else right good guy bad guy so you got a pharisee and you got a tax collector and everybody who was hearing that story for the first time they know i mean as soon as they hear a pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple to pray they're like okay this one's got it this one why is he even there right they already know the story they're going to that place that's going to be the the visual representation of the presence of god and and you know this as the church the church is not a building the church is the people Okay, but when we go somewhere, we go... Like when you came here, you came to the Harris Center, but you came here today for worship. And so this place takes on a different meaning for us on Sunday mornings. It just does. So two people came down to the Harris Center. Two people made their way to the Harvest Light Baptist Church meeting that's inside the Harris Harris Center. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. We don't have any actual tax collectors here, do we? Okay, everything's good. So... The Pharisee, and I love the way the Scripture says this, the, the Pharisee prays with himself. He prays to himself. And, and really, I, I was told that in the, the Greek language, it just says he prays himself. That, that's how it's written. Like he, he, However you want to understand that. He prayed to himself. He prayed for himself. He prayed about himself. I mean, however you want to look at it, he, he's just praying and it's all about self. And then the contempt comes out. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this person. I'm being careful to point behind Ross. I don't want to point to Ross. I want you all to know I'm not pointing to Ross. I'm pointing. I'm holding the mic with this hand. I'm pointing with this hand. Okay. We're good. We're good, Ross. Okay. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this person. And then he starts naming things, you know. They're, They're swindlers. They're unjust. They're adulterers. They're crooks. They're whatever he wanted to say. I mean... Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. I'm up here, there, down there, right? That's pride in its heart. And then he starts talking about himself. So, I'm not like them. Thank you, God. But, oh, I don't know if you've noticed this, God. Here's what I am. Here's what I do. I tithe of everything I get. I do these other things. I'm not like them. I fast. I pray. I give. I give. Again, I'm up here and everybody else is down there. That's how he sets this up. I follow the rules. I do the right things. I'm better than the people around me. If I compare myself to others, I come out ahead of them. And so here's the statement. I don't know if I've got a slide on this. I just want to read it to you and make sure you hear it this way. But this is what the Pharisee does. He takes what is a gift from God and he decides that he is a gift to God. Does that make sense? He, I mean, everything he received, he received from God. It's not something that you know, was on his part. He, everything he had, he, he got from God. But, but he takes all these things that are gifts from God and somehow translates that into, I'm a gift to God. And that's pride. And when you say it like that, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? It sounds awful to say it that way. So spiritual pride, this is what it promises. And I think there is a slide on this, okay? This is what spiritual pride promises. It promises a kind of self-sufficiency. In other words, I've got this. I can handle it. I can do it. I don't need anybody else. I'm a good person. I know the right things. I do the right things. I am self-sufficient. That's what spiritual pride does. It says, I am enough. And for many of you in here today, you know And in your spiritual uh, journey, it always starts with, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. Pride is the exact opposite of that. So it starts with spiritual uh, self-sufficiency, and then it moves to self-importance. I'm valuable. I, I live in the right place. I drive the right car. I have the right clothes. I have those things. These people couldn't do what they do without me. Everybody depends on me. I'm valuable. That's its own form of pride. And that's where it takes you. And then it takes you to something at the next level, which is not just I'm valuable, but it's a type of self-exaltation. Where now you want someone to praise you for what you've done. So it moves along to I can handle this, to I'm valuable, to praise me for it. You see that? That's just three different steps. And that's just taking pride to its full extent. That's where it goes. Everyone look at me. Tell me how great I am. It's it's an inward emotion that always leads to an outward action. It's an inward emotion that leads to an outward action. That's that's how you find out about pride. That's how you see it in yourself. That's how you see it in other people. It started out as as a, a thing that you thought, and there was an emotion attached to that, and then it turns into behavior. When I started driving, which was a long time ago, by the way, my first car was a truck. Listen to this. It was a 1971 Datsun pickup. All right, the older people nodding their head like they remember Datsun. You younger people have to Google that. Like Datsun's been going a long time. How many of you know what Datsun became? It morphed into what? Nissan. Nissan. Thank you very much. So all the Nissans, before they were Nissans, they were Datsun, okay? And Datsun made a pickup that was almost as big as that table right there. No, it was a little. Maybe two tables, but I'm not kidding. It wasn't much bigger than that. In 1971, Datsun pickup. That was my first vehicle. It was $600. Now, in 1985, $600 was more than it is now, but it was still dirt cheap. And I'll tell you why it was cheap. It only had one brake that worked. The back right tire. That's the only one that would slow down. <laughs> now, now you guys that drive trucks, you know that's a really bad thing, right? It would be okay if the front ride tire worked a little bit, it would slow down a little bit. But the back right tire was the only one that worked. Only one. So what you had to do was, you had, number one, it had a leak in the master cylinder, so you had to pump the brakes to even get good pedal. Okay, this was before power brakes. And seat belts, by the way, this thing did not have seat belts. Those were still optional in 71. So you pumped the brake to get some pedal. You hit the pedal. The back tire, right tire, started to, to, to turn, which meant the vehicle went to the right. So you had to do your steering wheel to the left to keep it straight. Does that make sense? I learned how to do that fast driving that vehicle. So, you know, I would drive to school. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a new driver. I'm 16 years old. I'm driving to high school. And my prayer would be, Dear God, please don't let anybody see me driving this truck. <laughs> that's how it was. I took Michelle out on a date in that bomb. Like, she, she, she will tell you. She's just shaking her head like, I can't believe you're telling that story. But that's how... I can't believe her mother let me get... get she was able to go on a date. I didn't tell her mom about the brakes, right? I did not tell her mom about the brakes. But, but Michelle did that, and she must have really wanted to go on a date with me. That's all I could say. But here's what it did. It gave me a way to get to work. So I drove to work, and I started making some money. And, and one, I had two motivations. Like, one, I need money to take Michelle out. And two, I really need a different vehicle. You know, I need something else, and so I got a job, and I worked, and uh, my first job where they actually wrote a check to me was at Chick-fil-A. Did y'all know I worked at Chick-fil-A a a long time ago? I did, I worked at Chick-fil-A. So I got started there. And then the next school year started and I went to work in the print shop at the school after school, so I had two jobs. So I had an after school job that went about four or five hours a day, and then I would do my other job as much as they would let me, so I had two jobs. I just saved all my money and and try to have enough money and say, you know, next year soon I'm gonna I'm gonna get another car, which we did. And I had to go to my mom, I was like, Mom, would you buy me a car and I'll pay for it? Have y'all ever tried that? My mom went for it. <laughs> she did. I said, would you buy it?" Because it had to be in her name. You know, I couldn't pay cash for it. It's like, would you sign for this? And I will give you the money. And my mom said yes. I love her. Mm-hmm. That was one of the nicest things she ever did to me. So that's what happened. And I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I bought a 1986 Toyota MR2. Some of you are going, I don't, that makes no sense. I'm just telling you that was a cool car. It was nice. It was a two-seater. It was a five-speed. At the time, it had one of those 16 valves. That was a new thing. It would scoot. It was great. It had a sunroof. It had a great stereo. It was like night and day from what I was driving to what I started driving. Like, I couldn't wait, the day I got this thing, to drive to Michelle's house, because you couldn't call her, you know, couldn't send a picture or tell her what I, I just drive to her house, knock on the door, like, let's go, right? Whole new ride whole new ride and it had a sunroof in it i kept the sunroof off if it wasn't raining the sunroof was off the windows were down you know i would i would i mean you could hear me coming you know because i had the music up and i'd just ride along you know what i'm confessing to you right i'm confessing to you a kind of pride right do i sound proud i probably got to confess today lord (laughs) Still, Like still. So, so here's how it happened. I mean, I just told you the story. Here's how it happened. I worked and I earned something. I paid for that thing for years. I kept it until I don't know 1999, 2000, right in there before I sold it. I mean, I mean, I had that thing from '86 um, all the way through to the late '90s before I sold it. I mean, I love that car. You know, it's such a cool car. But but I worked, I earned it, I paid for it. And it's just really easy to take something that you work for and earn. It's just real easy to kind of flip that coin over and become real proud of yourself. Right? And then other people don't have cars. You're like, you need to work for it. Right? Some of you said that. Like, you said that. I've been there. I've been there. It's just so easy to take something that's good, like... Working, earning, paying for things yourselves, all that. It's just so easy to take that and there's just a fine line between doing those things that are good and becoming really prideful about it and thinking that it was all you. Not having gratitude, but instead being prideful about it. And that's what happens. So it's, it's real easy to say, I earned it. To take the next step that says, I deserve this to then going to the end of it and say, well, I'm better than you because of it. Does that make sense? That's how how sticky pride is. Because it starts with something that's good and it works its way into something that's not. And so here you've got this Pharisee and you've got this tax collector and, and that's what's going on with them. The Pharisee started with something that was really, really good, and he's made his way into something that's not. So it starts with comparison. This is probably where it'll show up for you in your life. You'll, you'll catch yourself comparing yourself and your actions to others. You know who are the worst people to do that? We parents. We're the worst ones to do that. You know, I don't, I start, it starts young. For parents, I mean parents, like new parents, young parents, I don't mean in age. I just mean they haven't had kids very long. It starts there, and it makes its way up. And, and so we start comparing. We're like, did you see so-and-so's kid? Did you see what they did? That kid's going to go to jail. You know, kid's like three or something. And you start this comparison thing, and, it, and it's awful, and, it, and it's real easy once you start that. In a way, you're saying, but, but we're better than that, and we've handled it better than that. And the fact is, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. But it's easy, easy to go that way, and you start out with comparison, or or you'll hear it in yourself when you say things like, "Well, I would never." Now, if you said that just a few minutes ago, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I'm not picking on you, but but that's what that's where it shows up in your life. You say, "Well, I would." You see what they did? Did you hear about that? Well, I would never. Really? You would never. Hmm. That's pride, and so comparison, and then sometimes it comes out in a different form. It's more like, "Well, I don't." Need. I don't need God. I don't need the church. I don't need to pray. I don't need the scripture. I, I don't need those things because I got it. And that's another form of self-sufficiency. Or as we talked about earlier with self-exaltation, it just becomes attention-seeking. Our phones and social media have made us um, all constantly in danger of attention-seeking, right? That's what it is for so many people. We always have to be on guard for it. So let me take it this way, and I don't, I don't have a slide for this, but there's a reverse side of it. And I wrote this down this week because I wanted to make sure and talk about it. The re- reverse side of this is when you hear people always come at it from the negative side. So it might be something like this, uh, a person that can't receive a compliment. You go up to them and you say, hey, that was a great job you did. And they always deflect it. They can't just say thank you. That, that's its own form of pride man, I, I saw what you did there and, and that, was so, that was so good and, and, or it meant a lot to me or, or it had to mean a lot to someone else. And, and they can't just say thank you for it. They just, they just say, well, you know, whatever. They just pass it off. So it's things like that. Or they'll say, woe is me. You'll hear that from people. Uh, which is, again, it's on the negative side, but it's someone always saying in their own way, I should have better, I deserve better. And frankly, none of us deserve anything that we have, do we? I mean, that's the truth. Everything we have is a gift, gift from God. And in either of those cases, the value is still on me. And that's at the heart of pride. So what would Jesus undo? He would undo spiritual pride. And I know it took me a long time to get there, but I'm going to give you three quick points about this. Number one, when we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. That, that's where we're starting today. When we're full of ourselves... There's no room for God. So the tax collector was standing some distance away. He was not even willing to lift his eyes to heaven. He's beating on his chest and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All right, that's a person who's no longer full of themselves. Now, he, I mean, you just have to know about the tax collectors. These weren't people that went down and signed up for the job and they just happened to get hired. These were people that were looked at as traitors in their own land. You know, they, I mean, they were Jewish men. They worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes for the country. They came in and took over their own country. And then they didn't just collect taxes for an invading government. They added on top of that and, and basically made themselves rich doing that. These people were just dirty. That's what they were. And so when you hear about the tax collector going up the temple to pray, you know, the, the good Jewish people are like, Tackle him. Don't let him in. Don't let him do that. He's a bad guy. He's awful. He's a traitor to our own nation, a traitor to our own people. That's what. You're, and there was a way for him to, to right himself in the law, but it would have been to pay everything back that he'd ever taken unjustly plus 20%. Yeah, who's going to do that, right? He made himself rich stealing from people. Now he's going to have to pay all of that back plus 20%. So you can understand, he knows he's out. As far as God is concerned, there's, he's not going to make it. So when he's standing there in this parable of Jesus saying, God, be merciful to me as a sinner, he's throwing himself at the mercy of God because there's no hope for him otherwise. He can't earn his way out of that. And by the way, that's a good thing to figure out. That you can't earn your way out of it. He was broken. Broken by sin. Verse 14. This is what I want to remind you of because this is the twist in Jesus' story. He says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Not the Pharisee. Not the guy that learned all 613 laws in the Old Testament. Not the guy who memorized 600 plus laws by the time he was in about 5th grade. Not that guy. But the other guy, that we all think's a traitor, that he's dirty, and he steals from people, and he probably stole from my family. That's the guy, Jesus said, who went away justified before God. So you can see it was not because of his actions he was justified before God, right? He threw himself at the mercy of God. Look, I'm just telling you the pastor in me, okay? This is a pastor's heart. I never know when somebody walks in the door what they bring with them. I never know. Sometimes I can read something on your face. I know you're going through a hard time, but I don't I don't know what you brought in with you. I don't know what load you carry. I don't know what burden you have. I don't know what sin you're dealing with. I don't know what your struggles are. But when, when people walk in the door, many times they come in with just a heavy, heavy load. And if that load has to do with your sin, if that weight has to do with your sin, I would just encourage you every single Sunday, in one form or another, what I'm saying to you is just take that, throw it at the feet of Jesus, and throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Because He's the only one who really needs to forgive you and He's the only one who can take you from where you are and move you to where you need to be. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't try to say, well, I can can figure this out if I just work hard enough. Throw yourself at the mercy of God. Whatever He tells you to do, do that. Do that. Because that's when you find, like Jesus is talking about, a place to walk away justified. Because it won't be by our actions ever. So Jesus just shocks his hearers when he tells them a story like that. Now let me get on to the second one pretty quick. So when we're full of ourselves, that's the problem. But here's the second idea. When we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled with the grace of God. Now if that sounds a little weird to you or it sounds too abstract to you or you can't really figure that out, uh, let me just tell you it's a good thing. When you empty yourself, when you just let it all go, you say, I don't have what it takes. I'm not sufficient. I'm just going to throw myself at the mercy of God. It's like you empty out all of that stuff that you've been holding on to that you thought was enough. It was your strength. It was your knowledge. It was your resources. You just empty yourself of all of that. Say, "None of this is any good anymore. And, And what happens is suddenly you're open to the grace of God. And you say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Look, I'm just telling you it's good. The grace of God will change your life. And when you can empty yourself of all the other stuff and allow the grace of God to come in, that's what changes you. And, and again, you're like, that's some kind of mystical preacher talk. I don't know. I'm, grace is real. You can't see it. But it's real. It's kind of like when you breathe in the air. You know, it's here. You can't see it. But you know it's here and you need it to live. And as a Christian person, if you want to honor God with your life, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have to empty yourself of all the other stuff you've been holding on to. And let the grace of God come in. The grace of God. Personal struggles. I wish I could tell you like the matrix. You know, there's like a red pill or a blue pill. You know, you pick the right one. It's going to be good for you. If you don't, trouble. But I can't, I can't do that for you. There's not a quick fix. It really is you have to empty yourself. I think about, um, you know, when people, when people walk in the door. You know, what do they bring with them? What burdens do they carry? What sins do they hold on to? Um, my job, problems. My kids, problems. Money, problems. Relationship problems. Problems. I mean, people just, people just bring that with them. And have you ever, you ever thought about the difference between this and this? That you can go through life like this, right? You just hold on to everything. It's mine. I got it. I'm holding on to it. It came to me. I've got it. I'm never letting it go. All right. You can go through life like that. Okay. And what happens? It slips out of your fingers. Somebody pries it out of your hand. You lose it is devastating. You can go through life like that, or you can go through your life like this. God, whatever you give me is what I've got. Whatever you want me to have, I'll keep. We sang it today. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's hard to sing, isn't it? It's hard to mean, isn't it? You give and take away. You know where that came from in the Bible? It came from Job. A man who had wealth, a man that had a wonderful wife, a man that had a great family, a man who had all kinds of resources. He had all of that and almost in a day, nearly everything was taken away. Everything. And when his friends come to him and they want to talk to him, that's Job's response. If you want to know why Job is looked at as a righteous and holy man in the Scripture, that's it. When when everything important in life was stripped away from him and they talked to him about it, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to say to you, if you've never had anything important taken away from you, maybe what I'm saying doesn't make sense what is the most important thing when all this is done when when all of life's over like what is the most important thing you know what it is it's your relationship with God isn't it because I I guarantee you if I'm your pastor and I'm with you the last five minutes of your life you will not care about your car if I'm with you those last five minutes you know and you're still kind of conscious thinking about things you're about to be gone you will not say to me make sure to make my house payment you won't care Your bank account will not matter. Whatever's in your closet won't matter. I mean, none of that. You won't care about any of that stuff. The only thing that's going to matter to you is where am I going? What's He going to think when I get there? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Everything you have right now that you consider your own, everything is something that God gave you. And He may take it away at some point. Or He may want you to give it away at some point. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is the opposite of pride. Let me do the last one. All right, when we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be used by God. Here's the truth. The Pharisee and the tax collector, they were in the same boat, they just didn't know it. You know, They were in the same boat, they just didn't know it. They're both, Lord be merciful to me, a sinner. They were both in that spot. One just knew it and one didn't. And so once you know it and you open yourself up to God and say, God, my life belongs to you, where I go, what I do, what I have, it's it's all yours. Once you do that, all of a sudden you're in a position where God can do something through you that He could not do before. So, I don't don't know if you're going to take this to heart or not, but I hope you will. I hope it goes in your ears, in your brain, and somehow finds that magical place that's known as your heart. Okay? God wants to do something through you. But He's going to do first something in you. The change has to happen in you first. And then He's going to do something through you. Now, how does God want to change the world through you? I don't know. Whose world is He going to change through you? I can't tell you. But I know He will start by changing you. He'll do the work in you before He does the work through you. So, pride is all about my glory. And humility is all about God's glory. Let me go ahead and get to the end, Ross. I just want to put the challenge out there. I want you to ask today about everything. Everything that's you, everything that you have to decide on, those those things, everything that's there, ask, is this about my glory or is it about God's glory? Because if it's about your glory, you're always going to lean toward pride. But if it's about God's glory, it's about honoring God, that's the path of humility. And that's where Jesus calls us. We started today with Matthew 5, and I want to end today with it. And Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You can't do that without humility. So in just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray. And I want you to have a few moments to respond. You can pray right where you stand. If you want to come forward, I'll be glad to pray with you. Um, if you just want to you know, just pray in some other way, you can do that. This is your time to respond. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ until today, what I'm going to say to you is tell somebody. Tell me before you leave. All you got to do is walk up to me and say, today I believe. That's all I need to know. I'll take it from there. But if today's your day, then let me know. All right, this is your time. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for your word. And you told us this story. You gave us this story so that we might see and understand something about ourselves. And God, here we are, and everything that we have belongs to you. Everything we will ever have belongs to you. Our lives are in your hands. And God, there may be some people here today that just need to recognize that and acknowledge it to you. And so we want that time to work in our hearts. We give you these moments In Jesus' name, amen. amen.